Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. The Things We Say is back on the air, attacking the podcast realm with enthusiasm unknown to mankind, <laughs> as Jim Harbaugh once said. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually really excited because we're using our new interface for the first time, and I actually am noticing a very big difference in the sound clarity, there we uh, go. even just in our ears. I don't know if you're noticing that, but I am certainly noticing it. And I am super jazzed Hope about it. Hope it comes across for our listeners. Yes. There Hopefully everyone New is happy. Yes, yes. Yes. Enthusiasm oh. unknown to mankind was probably my favorite Jim Harbaugh quote. <laughs> he, he had another one in the press conference just this year. They asked him why he doesn't let his players eat chicken. He has them eating steak or beef products all the time. And he said it's because it's a nervous bird. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think That's describes beautiful. him accurately. He's oh, a nervous man. bird. Hey, congratulations, by the way. The Sixers spanked the Lakers today. Yes, which, I was excited to see LeBron managed 120 points, and we still beat him by 28. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can we just talk about this for a second? I know, I know. The uh, process. Yes, but, but I know that he's not going to win, but I'm going to begrudgingly say this. It is an absolute disgrace to the NBA that LeBron James is not the MVP of the league every single year until he becomes irrelevant. <laughs> Just by the sheer fact... I don't care. That I'm, he watched, went, I'm happy he to went watch from, him fade away. No, but he won't, and he's not. That's the thing. <laughs> I don't he care. went from the Cavs to the Cavs of the West, and now all of a sudden they're relevant, and the Cavs are what the Cavs are. Like I still love the Cavaliers. I'm still rooting for them, painful though it may be, which you can sympathize with from being oh, a yeah. Sixers fan for a long time. Even during the darker days, but now we the have man, the fabulous five. Yeah, the man has. I have or fantastic yes, five. I think they're called. I have my frustrations with the man, but you cannot make the argument that he makes any team he's on. He could go to any team in the league and make them relevant, and not just because he's the most famous or everybody cares about. He actually makes a difference on the court. Makes a difference in win. I mean, look at what happened to the Lakers when he went down over these what eighteen games. Was that how yeah. many it was? It was a ridiculous amount. It was the most he's ever been out. I don't know. But, I'm happy to not care but at either all way, about LeBron. But you have to admit, either way, regardless of what you think of the person, and I, again, am one that I'm happy to see him lose <laughs> at this point yep. because I just don't care anymore. Um, there is nobody that has an effect on a team like he does. There isn't anybody else in the league that can do that. There just isn't. And There isn't another big man putting up the stats of Embiid since Shaq. No doubt. So and again, I'm, I'm not, happy to talk about that. And I'm not saying that as disparaging to anyone else. But again, even, even the greatness of Steph Curry as a shooter, you put him on another team, he doesn't work in every system. Now, the problem is LeBron becomes the system every place he goes. That is his problem. That's what I was going to say. Yes, and I agree with that. And honestly, if I give the Warriors credit for anything, it's, it has exposed that reality. And I think that's why you're not seeing guys flock to want to play with LeBron because they know they're going to become Chris Bosh or Kevin Love Whereas on a team like the Warriors, everybody gets to play their part, do what they do, and it works. So I will give – it's the this only thing – This is what I've been telling you back the in the Cavs time. I'm like, the Warriors are a true team. It's you the only guys... thing I will give the, the Warriors any props for Yeah, is that – and I never had the problem with the way they play the game. That was never an issue to me other than their excessive amount of moving screens. That drives me crazy and will always drive me crazy, just like Harden's traveling drives me crazy. Like there's just – and LeBron's, of course, too. But Harden's is just more like he just literally doesn't care. And he's like, I'm going to take four steps outside the line and then shoot. Like, anyway, this is not what we're here to talk about. This but, is not what we're but here to way, talk about. But either way, congratulations. Sixers won and won handily. Uh, and we're excited. And it was good. It was a good game. It was, the first, it was the first NBA game I've watched all the way through this season so far. I didn't get to watch it because my kids were not into it. Oh, so. that's sad. It's okay. I watched part of it. So um, why are we here tonight? We are here, <laughs> and 
you guys know the main topic, but I do at the very beginning want to kick it off with a did you know? Yes. And this goes back. It's going to tie into a did you know that we had before. We had talked about uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's daughter, Rose, yes. and her connection with Ayn Rand, yes. which people did not know. We're going to take a I step no back yeah, and true. go back to the Salem witch trials. Oh. If you go over to the neighboring town of Andover, which there were 40 people accused from the town of Andover mm-hmm. of being witches and either imprisoned or I think there was only five from Andover that were executed. But a, the, fam, the family that suffered the most in Andover was a family named Ingalls. Yeah. And later, the, that, that was the same family that Laura Ingalls and their family came from. And wasn't it people who escaped? They, they did, uh, after the witch trials were over, there was some that escaped, but after the witch trials were over, the, the entire family left Andover and okay. moved. Which and so they, they left the town and moved yeah. out completely with the whole fallout. Obviously, yeah. they had been targeted and they had been picked on pretty bad in the whole process, so they yeah. picked up and moved. I must say that uh, Aaron Mankey's podcast, uh, Unobscured, yeah. has been amazing. Yes, yeah, and, and, it, and it is really good. If you want a really good, fairly unbiased take, just as it stands, as it was, view of the Salem Witch Trials, it's an awesome podcast, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah. For I, sure. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Yes. So, yes. yeah, that was the did you know uh, that the Ingalls family, part of their migration west, was <laughs> leaving Andover, Massachusetts after the witch trials. Oh, my goodness. Which I knew, but I, I didn't know I what still cannot, Sheldon's it, did you know it was going to be. I still cannot believe, and this is a little bit butterfly effect, yeah. If you start looking back at a lot of those, those early goings on and where everybody went after that, it, how many different ripples there are oh, yeah. all the way through society. Oh, yeah. Somebody was just telling me that somehow uh, Cotton Mather was a distant relative of Marshall Mathers. Really? And that somehow Eminem can trace his roots <laughs> back to the Puritans and the witch trials. <laughs> You know, I do think it's interesting. I don't have anything to back that up. I just yeah. randomly saw it. I'm like, yeah, hmm, that is. I do think it's interesting because most, uh, most of the Puritans eventually faded into uh, Unitarianism, right? That's how you want to say it? Unitarianism. Sure, I don't. Which I of didn't course, know that to be the case. Then the Unitarians merged with Universalists and became the Unitarian Universalists, which really is not a Christian denomination at all anymore. So it's interesting for me to go from that level of excessive piety and and really fanatical piety i would say to some degree to now the complete opposite is really interesting and i I would love to trace how much that had to do with even the excesses of the salem witch trials and how that really ended up in a lot of ways being the death of puritanism in the united states the puritan experiment in the united states yeah which is what they were fighting which is hilarious well not hilarious but tragic but anyway go listen to that podcast it's awesome yeah, it was a lot of fun. By Aaron Mankey. Um, so today I wanted, well, tonight, we record this at night, so I'm yes. going to say tonight. But who knows, in the time when you were listening to this. I'm just looking at those red bars that we're recording, and they don't seem to be as big. Yes. Is that I'm, bad? I'm seeing that. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I can boost them still if I need to. <laughs> but yeah, it's all I right. don't know how it's any of that right. works, so I just wanted to call your attention. I don't know. It. I'll find out. Okay. We'll find out. Anyway, today I wanted to talk a little bit about something I've been thinking about as my son gets older and trying to think through how this happened for me. Um, and we can each share our, our stories on that when, when we knew um, or what was defining for us. But I feel like our culture has had a, a crisis of what it means to be a man. And I think um, everybody from new wave feminists to, you know, very traditional people would would all say, yes, there is somewhat of a crisis in men knowing what it means to be a man. Yes. You know, they, people attack it from different angles and say, this is what's wrong about men or this is what men are doing wrong and, and why. I'm, I'm not necessarily getting into that. What I would like to know and, and define a little bit more is... The, distinct, the distinction between when 
um, someone becomes a man yeah. and it stop, stops being a boy. Or like what you would describe as a boy, you know, a child, and when you're a man. Yeah. And it, it's, a lot, it, it's a lot more definable. I think women may have the same thing, but I don't feel like there's any way that I can discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> or that we can get into that no, on this podcast. No, without a doubt. Without a doubt. But um, I would like to talk about that a little bit. Like what it means to be a man and the crisis going on in our culture where people don't know what it means to be a man or what's required. Um, who did I hear saying that you're not a man until you have hit someone or been, is it, what is it? Like been in a fight, broke someone's heart and had your heart broke or something like that. There's, there's a saying that goes around that's pretty close to that. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. I'm sure I broke someone's heart. And I definitely had mine broken. Yes. That's true. I can knock those off. And yeah, check mark. But the those. whole like being in a fight, I see why that's important. Yeah. Like you know, I getting hit and mm. hitting someone else. I understand why that's important. I just don't see it as the main defining yeah. factor. I think there's though at least a modicum of truth in that, in that there has to be some degree of hardship or failure. Before you can actually be a man, I really yeah. genuinely it can't just that. be a string of successes. Right, right. There has to be some kind of adversity that you overcome, or at least, at the very least, limp through. <laughs> yeah, and come out the other side of. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, the masculineness of, uh, but, but there's something about the proving of a man and feeling that, um, in having that kind of experience. How you take your losses. Yes. Yeah. Or, and or, what you learn yeah. from them. For How sure. you handle, like, I think part of the reason that roughhousing with my son is a good idea is so that he can learn his strength. And also that he knows that you can be, you can be punched, you can be hit, you can be knocked around and still be completely okay. Right. Like, you're, you're fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, you hit your nose into the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> like... That's startling, right. but it didn't end your life. Well, like, and that's you're, how you're okay. Well, growing up roughhousing like, with my up. dad, that's how it always was. Like we will roughhouse until someone gets hurt. Yep. And then we will stop. Yep. And and that was the and whoever it was, it all stopped regardless. Like if it was me, my, and my sister roughhoused with us. It wasn't just the three, you know, the three of us guys. Like my sister was involved with that too. But once somebody got hurt, it all stopped and it calmed down. But everybody was fine. Like yeah. it wasn't like a big deal. It was like, what did we learn? Yes, that is our limit. That's our line, you know, that we don't go past. Um, that's I, why boxing is good, because you can get hit in the face and know you're not going to die. Yes, most of the time. <laughs> a lot of people that do get hit in the face for the first time, it's like, whoa, my life is over. I yeah. just got hit in the face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Although every time I've gotten hit in the nose for anything, and I was in martial arts for a lot of years, like, it feels like the entire world is ending. Yeah. Like, it, just the nose. Like, I can take other hits to the face. Yeah. I've, you know, I've taken hard hits to the teeth. I've taken hard hits to... But, man, that hit to the nose every single time, the world just explodes in your eyes. And What's worse, getting hit in the nose or getting hit in the groin? Uh, yes. <laughs> I can't say that I would want either to no. happen. No, totally for different reasons. I feel like a hit to the groin disables you in a physical sense, but I feel like a hit to the nose actually disengages your brain. Like you mentally yeah. disengage when you take a, a full-on strike to your nose. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the unfortunate part is you're painfully aware mentally of everything that's going on when you get a hit to the groin, yeah. without a doubt. If you get hit in the face, it's like you got transported to another place. Yes. It's like, ah, yes. why am I it's here? It's a line. You will always remember. <laughs> you always, I will never forget. I was, I was 12 years old, and I was in, a, in, in, in my karate class, and I was sparring with someone who was maybe late teens, early 20s. Dude was way bigger than me, had way bigger reach, and I got kicked. He did a, he did a front kick and hit me underneath my nose. Wow. And up. And one of those that had it been a little harder could have actually killed me. Like it was yeah. one of those. And I remember all the cartilage in my nose was pushed off to the one side of my one nostril. Like you couldn't even get a pinky up there because all the cartilage had moved over. And that was the first time I ever really took a hit 
to the nose. And it was, I remember it well. <laughs> like, I will never forget that. There's a line, and there was before that happened, and there was after yeah. that happened. And boy, do I remember it well. Yeah, I remember my first decent fight as well. I mean, it just, it's something that kind of defines you, and you're like, okay, I survived that, and I can move on. Like, okay, now I, now I know next time I get in there, what's going to happen. Now, right. for me, there hasn't been a whole lot of that because right. I've spent a lot of time avoiding, right. <laughs> avoiding that. Like, that's the thing with, for me is a man is not a guy that is always looking for a fight. Right. A man would be somebody that has enough strength to finish the fight right. if he gets in or has the tenacity to do it. Right. But generally looks for a way to... Resolve it some other way. Resolve it for some sure. other way because he knows what's involved. For sure. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I do think it's interesting because there are, so many, there are so many cultures that have definitive things that once you have passed this threshold, yes. you have become a man. You are viewed as a and man I by your peers. And I think it's helpful... I think it's helpful to have that point in time in the culture. I think yeah. those those cultures that have that definable <clears throat> point in time are stronger. Yeah. And honestly, in thinking about it... But sorry, you were going somewhere Well, no, that. and this is the thing. I, I, I feel like at least in the church, a lot of times marriage is the thing that is that threshold for most people. So which in is the Christian subculture... Yeah, which yeah. is unfortunate for those men and even women who don't marry for whatever reason because I there's see. there's this feeling of like well you you're never going to be whatever that thing is you're never going to reach this level um which doesn't work um because while I would agree like that was that was a definitive part of me becoming a man so was having a child and so was having a second child like they have framed what I view being a man as because it's changed my role as a man um and even now, it's even hard to, even as I'm saying the word amen, I have trouble thinking of myself as that. I, agree. I still think of myself as a kid in a lot of ways. I often wondered as I was like 14, 15, like wondering, okay, when, when am I going to do like man things? And how will <laughs> I know, how, how will I know that I'm doing it right? Or like I'm, I'm actually doing it. Like I'm yeah. actually being a being man, a man. Yeah. you know, like. At 14 or 15, you're pretty well aware, yeah, I could get someone pregnant, whoop, whoop-de-doo-dah. Right. That's not, that's not, not what it, it. is. I'm no. pretty sure that no. it's not that. It, it's the things that I see my dad doing. Like, the car, the car breaks down. I need to figure out what it is. Yeah. There's nobody to call. I see that call. as being a man thing. Yeah, there's like, nobody to call anymore. My you're wife the one. says the car is making a noise, and I go out there. I need to figure out what that is. Yeah. Like, and as long as I lived at home and my dad was around, if it was my mom or my sisters or my little brother who had something wrong with his car, dad was the one that would figure it out because right. he was good at that. Right. And I'm like, there's going to come a day where I'm responsible for that. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to figure out, like, who to take it to or what to do with it. Or, yeah. like my dad did, jack it up on a gravel driveway and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was, I was always like, why... How am I going to be able to do that? That's going to be weird. <laughs> Can I take a complete rabbit trail sure. off of what you just said? Because you had a gravel driveway growing up. Yes. As, as did I. And I think you actually have a gravel driveway now, don't I you? I do, right now. But do you remember as a kid, like going on a long trip with your parents driving, uh -huh. and the sound of when they turned into the driveway, and oh, all my, of a sudden yes. you heard the popping gravel, and there, it was just the best sound in the world. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Your eyes are closed. It's dark. Every road feels the same. Every turn feels the same. And you want to go to sleep so bad because you know it'll go faster. Yeah. But you know you're not going to. I could never sleep on oh, those trips. I'd either. lay awake as long as my dad was driving. When, yeah. when you hear that sound, yeah. I, oh. I can't say that I would have thought of that until no, oh, this moment. It's, but. it's one of those random sounds that every time I hear it, it just gives me feels because it just transports me back instantly to being small and having that experience of like, oh, I'm finally going to be home and I'm going to go to my own bed and have my toys. and have I don't my know things. that I would have picked that noise out, but as soon as you say what it is, yeah. I know what Everybody it is. knows what it is if they ha ever had a gravel driveway or yeah. had a grandparent or, or, or friend that had one that was always like associated with Anyway, totally rabbit trail, but there no, you go. that was that was good. <laughs> um, I think for me too, like when we had our first kid, and 
the hospital experience was what it was. And then you're there a couple of days and you're like, can't wait to get discharged. Got to get home. And then you're going out of the hospital and they hand you the baby <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, you know, like we'll help you strap it in the car or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I pull my car around and you strap the kid in the car <laughs> and it's just like, and we go home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And we just leave. Yeah. And my wife was an OB nurse, and I still had that feeling. I was like, still like, am I allowed to yeah. just, like, take it with yeah. me? I'll and never... yet, had you told me that it's staying in the hospital, I would have ran through the wall. Exactly. Like... Exactly. And that's the thing. I remember I remember bringing ho- Strong home from the hospital. It was rainy. It was chilly. And I drove home, like, 25 miles per hour yeah. just because I'm like, there's idiots out here who are going to do They're all going to hit my things. car. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, there was a definite moment of transition because it was the first time I ever felt completely responsible for another person. Because yeah. there was a degree of that when my wife and I got married, but she's still, like, a fiercely independent person. She yeah. doesn't need me to be successful or to succeed or to do well in life. Like, she's awesome and she's great. Yeah. But I, I mean, I felt a degree of responsibility for her and to her, but this was like literally a tiny person who couldn't do anything for themselves and we had to keep it alive. Yeah. And yes, together, but if something were to ever happen to Kayla, I had to keep it alive. Like that was, that was <laughs> or just when she, whenever she went or away when, and left yeah, me away, alone with it. Any of that. Yeah. Any of that. And it's so like, yeah, but does it have this? Does it, does it need this? And I'm like, I don't know. You can't go anywhere without yeah. Me. like, yeah, but I, I would say for me that was a that was one of the biggest definitive yeah. like crossover moment line in the sand moments that I can remember. Um, again, getting married was a degree of that for me. Um, but I would say getting the, married for me was a commitment level like that yeah. I had never cr- crossed except like my faith in Christ. But like right. that whole finality of the of the commitment, I was very aware of that. Some people are like, okay, it's just time to get married and do yeah. this. For me, I was very aware. Like, yeah, this is a final thing, forsaking all others, all of that. Like the single-mindedness of this whole thing. I was like, wow, this is this is huge. Like this this woman is going to be the mother of my children if we have any. And yeah. and like this is who I spend the rest of my life with. Wow, this is like, <laughs> yeah. And it all came crashing down right at the moment of the wedding. And I don't know why. <laughs> why beforehand that yeah like it was like oh it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and then it's here and i'm like <laughs> but I, i'm kind of that way like jess will even tell you if i'm driving down the road and it says exit here that whole like i'm good up until i'm taking the exit and it's like if this exit is wrong like there i'm off like <laughs> the, i'm past the point of, and so I like have that freak out right be, oh, yeah. right oh, yeah. at the dividing point. I have this mini freak out like, the, are you did sure I hear it right? Is, is this the right one? Right? Right? Oh, right my God. Right? Right? Uh, hates I when I do that. Like that last second panic, I still, I oh, still yeah. had that. So, yeah, I don't know. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily panic at my wedding. It was just knowing the finality of it. It was, it was a really holy and like solemn moment. But as far as feeling responsibility, I'm I'm with you. I did not feel that for Jess. She was successful. She was going her own direction. Right. She had a lot of things going for her, which is why I married her. Yeah. So like we didn't need each other. I, yeah. I we liked each other. Exactly. And and it was like it was like, hey, you know, I'd love to see how this turns out with yeah. you. But yeah. it's not like it's not like I ran around being like, oh, she needs me. Like yeah. I have Just to do a, a word this. of advice to everyone out there. Don't ever marry someone because you need them or they need you. Yeah. It or will like either you're, be, you're somehow dependent. Yeah. It like, will either be a miserable life or your marriage will end very quickly because you cannot be everything that a person like needs. Like any you other to be. addiction, it's not going to. Not a good idea. Not going to bring you what you think it not, will. No, no. But anyway. That's that's yeah. just a little a bonus bonus note from me and Sheldon right there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. So yeah, for me, I would say like bringing a kid home was a huge thing. Yeah. I think the first couple times that I fixed something on my car, I'm like, I can do this. Yeah. I, I called my dad twice, but I got it done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and owning a home and starting to fix things around the home, yeah. like I felt like, oh, okay, I can do this. And yeah. I don't know why I had used my 
different carpentry skills at work or like I had a mechanical aptitude. So I don't know why I thought like working on my own stuff or doing stuff for around the house was going to be a problem, but like putting on a roof on the garage, mm. like when I did that with a couple buddies, I'm like, Hey, that was a manly thing. <laughs> I fixed my own garage. <laughs> Look at me. And I'm like, that felt good. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Was like buying a car. Buying a car terrified me. Yes. I was terrified because Do you I, take your dad with you to buy a car? My parents went with me to buy my very first car. Now, to be fair, I was still living at home yeah. when I did this. Yeah. Um, but they weren't. Was it, that the one that felt defining for you, though? Or just terrifying? By it was literally one? terrifying. I wrote the check seven times because I kept writing the check wrong because I'd never written an amount that big on one check before for my, yeah. my down payment. And so I, maybe it wasn't seven, I think it was four, but it felt like seven. Of course, you're staring across the table from somebody who's like, this really, this person's going to, you know, <laughs> you're trying to be an adult and, and you can't even write a check. Like no. You're just panicking. <laughs> and, can't, and I wrote a lot of checks back then, so it wasn't like I didn't know how to do it. Um, but no, so that was, that was terrifying <laughs> to me, just bringing the reality of like, I just spent this much money and I also have debt on top of it for the first time in my life. And it was just like, Oh, like there was this crushing yeah. weight that I felt. Um, but no. Which is good. Yeah. Like I didn't, I don't know that I've, I've never gone in debt for a car. So that, yeah. that crushing feeling of yeah. debt would probably be. Yeah. We have not even yeah, compounded it. We have not since uh, paying off my vehicle and, and the last two vehicles we bought. I think we did a little bit of debt with Kayla's first vehicle that we bought when we were married, but only because we were selling her car to somebody else to, for a very big discount oh, to wait, help them Jess out. Oh, would correct me. We were in, in debt for a car for a little while to her grandmother. Oh, so, yes, there you go. Yes, I yes. do know what that's like. Yes. The, the rage inside me <laughs> paid that off. <laughs> like, I attacked that like no other. Yeah. But, but it is funny because, you know, that's, that's one of the things that's interesting to me because the men in my life always seemed like men. Yeah. Like, the, like I even look at my dad now who's, you know, what, 63 and yeah, he's a little bit more gray, maybe a little, a little more creases here and there, but he still looks like the same, like he is a man. He is what I see as yep. a man. Same was true of my grand grandfather, uncles, you know, those kind of things. And even though they're getting older and as am I, there's still enough distance that I still look at them and I think of them as that's what a man looks like. They're and a I'm man still, and I'm a kid. I'm still me. Yeah. And, uh, and so I do, I, I think there's just. I don't think there's ever a point where somebody really, I think there, there's a point in life where you start to become accountable as a man, but I don't know that there's this threshold that you cross where you start totally feeling like one. Um, because I, I was thinking about that. The Well, I remember going to Warp Tour and being like, enjoying being there and being in a mosh pit and being like, I'm 29. Yeah. I'm not anybody's dad. Nobody's yeah. looking at me like I'm a man. Yeah. I'm just mixing it up out here, right. you know, right. and enjoying that. So there, there are situations in which I can jump in and just be right. young, right. but those are getting less and less as my hair gets grayer and grayer. Yes. Like after a while, <laughs> I don't know, are you going to just say like, oh, I grew into it, now I'm a man, you know? Yeah. I, I feel like there's, there's more things that define it than that. Um, but I do think that a lot of it is defined by who you look to as being men. Yeah. Um, being a man is not becoming more selfish. I think I can say that definitively. Without a doubt. Uh, some people see getting older and, and becoming men as, okay, now I'm in a position where I can finally take advantage of some things that I haven't been able to in the past. I have gained power, position, money to the place where I can now fulfill what I would say are like boyish desires or yeah. childish desires. Right. You're just being a big child. Yeah. Like that's not being a man taking, taking advantage of women or using them in some way is yeah. not the same thing with money being irresponsible with money and just blowing it on stuff. I'm a man now I can do what I want. Like you hear people justified in that yeah. way. That's not being a man. Yeah. That's just Without not putting away childish things. That's not 
and I think we've said it a couple times so far, is responsibility. Right. I feel like the level of responsibility that you take in different areas can be the defining factor between being a boy and being a man. Yeah. Like a child does not take responsibility for another person. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think it's so interesting though, because I think the idea of masculinity is being, is so attacked nowadays because there have, are people who have done it in that childish sense. And, and we've all gotten rubber stamped with that idea of when we think masculine, that's what we're thinking. Um, but and there I, does need to be a good masculine in society. Without a right? doubt. There's like there's even, necessity even the people that say, even the people that decry toxic masculinity believe in a masculinity that's not toxic. I would believe there are, that most believe that. But I do think there's an element now that literally believes masculinity in and of itself in any way is absolutely toxic. When they well, say toxic masculinity, right, absolutely. When they say toxic, I have no no problem with the phrase toxic masculinity because it does exist. It is a real thing. But again, for me, it's a boy who never grew up who thinks he's a man by being these I want, things. That I want we're non non toxic healthy masculinity and non toxic healthy femininity. Yeah, I think a doubt. Like both of those things are critical. Sorely lacking too these days because <laughs> we are we're so confused by it because we don't we don't have those definitive milestones anymore. You know, now you'll, you'll live with your parents forever. You'll, you're, you're doing all you can to perpetually extend your adolescence. You're, I mean, you look at what, you know, 18-year-old kids in the 40s were literally going off to war and fighting in Europe and fighting in Japan and seeing horrible things, but they went there willingly, you know, well, most of them. But, you know, I, if we had a World War II situation right now, what would this, this current generation do about it? What would they feel about it? How would they... There's, there's just a lack of... I think what they do and how they would feel about it would be different. Yeah, no I, doubt. I do think that one of, one of the things 9-11 showed us is you punch America in the nose, it's going to take a little bit for us to recover, but uh, we're going to come swinging. Right. You know, and, and but even that, people do rise to the occasion. Right. But like, even that, we're coming up on 20 years ago. That's true. We are fast approaching the 20-year anniversary I guess anniversary I don't of think that. of it that way. Exactly. So, like... I remember. I do think America rises to the occasion. One of the reasons things have gotten off kilter in the way we talk to each other and the way we talk about each other is because we haven't had a particular point to rally around in a long, long, exactly. long, long time. Yeah, very true. And there hasn't been that thing that like galvanized the American people and being like, yes, we all believe in this one thing right. that needs to happen and let's go, let's right. roll, you know, that whole thing. Right. And I don't know, are, are you concerned that something isn't happening? No, not that something oh. isn't happening. I'm just, this keeps happening, and so I don't know what that is. That's new. No. Oh, I know why it's happening. Never mind. I'm good. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Technical malfunction. Random, random production hiccups that are frightening to but me. But we're men. We'll fix it. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> oh, man. I, okay, so here's, here's another element of it. I do think that we should take responsibility for another person and the level of responsibility that you're willing to take is in different areas is defining of being a man but there is a certain part of it that we need to act like men whether we feel it or not yeah yeah sometimes you just have you you learn by doing yes yeah and by saying you know what what he just said to my wife is wrong i have never been in this situation before i don't know how to handle it yeah but I'm a man, and I'm gonna hand. I'm gonna insert myself into this situation, and we're gonna see where this goes. Yeah. Like instead of just being like, "Well, I've never been there. I'm not speaking up. I'm not saying anything." Yeah. Or maybe that's a bad example. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about when I said that, um, I'm I'm a sales trainer by by trade. That's that's what I currently do, and so I train people how to sell our product, and. I got that job because I understand the product really well. I'm passionate about the company. I'm a good public speaker. I can develop training materials well and understand what it takes to teach people. And my mom was asking me the other day, she's like, you're teaching people how to sell these things. Uh, have you ever sold one? I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and there is this certain element of like, I'm standing up there teaching and training and doing these things. And yeah, I get it. Like 
all the qualifications are there. But if you were to boil it all down to what I'm having people do, have I done it? Not necessarily. Yeah. Now I've been around it, been in it, understand it. I'm a part of it. But I cannot have that feeling in the back of my head as I'm up there. Yeah teaching and training or doing those things, it's going to throw me off so bad that I won't actually be of service to anyone. Yeah. I need to be confident. I need to own it. Yeah. And I need to be up there being like, no, this is really going to make you successful. Right. And I know it because I've seen it and it's been repeated and it, it will work for right. you. And I can tell you that. Well, and I think... So So that that is like going a little bit past where I... it's It's going... It's projecting something that I don't necessarily feel. Right. Like, would you say that I feel like I'm the best trainer out there or like yeah. I feel like I'm offering something? No, I don't necessarily feel that. Yeah. But I know that I am offering something and I am doing something right. that is that is manly. It is important. It is something that needs to happen and I'm out there doing the thing. But what I feel, I might still feel like what you were talking about. I still feel like a boy. Yeah. I still feel like I'm a kid who's in a big world trying to do something that I feel is important. Like, I don't think how you feel is necessarily relevant. No. No. Does that it, example it has, make any no, sense? No, totally, I don't know. totally. Well, and I think that that's an interesting thing because sometimes you're good at a job not because you've experienced what you're teaching about, but because you haven't. All you have is the raw facts. You can look yeah. at the you can look at the here is what is really true and I don't know if this is true because I've experienced it or felt it but the cumulative experience of all these other things have come together to allow me to collect information to pass on to you. And I think there's an important element of that because it removes the part of our brain that keeps us from doing things we need to do and having the responsibilities we need to do and do those kind of things because Sometimes we need to set aside what we feel. We need to have the ability to even say, no, I don't know how that feels, but that's not what's important here. What's important here is this is true, period. Yeah. Because there is a difference between truth and feelings, which, again, I've talked about that, why I get frustrated with the your truth, my truth. No, no, no. There is truth. There is your experiences. There are your opinions. But there is absolutely truth to things that have happened, things that haven't. And, uh, and I feel like what you're talking about there gets to that core element of there are things that are just universally true that we have to know that we have to walk out of, that we have to work out of, whether we feel something or have experienced something so far or not. So, yeah, I guess I would say in the same way that sometimes I don't feel like I am a salesman, I am a salesman. Right. In the same way, I, sometimes I don't feel like a man. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm necessarily fulfilling what it means in my mind to be a man. Yeah. And yet... I am by other measures. If you yeah. were, if you like different people were to objectively look into my life, they'd be like, yeah, you're, you're being a man in this regard, in this regard, in this regard. And they would, they would be able to say that. And that would be their call. But for me, sometimes I, did, I just don't feel that at all. Yeah. And there's, and what's lacking in our culture that you were mentioning in other cultures or subcultures, even there are rites of passage where you came in one side and everybody said, you're a boy, yeah. And you come out the other side, and they say you're you're now a man, yeah. And we will recognize you as a man, and all of that. And our culture lacks that. Yes, no closest doubt. things that we have to that in our culture, I would say, are uh, military service. Yes, like when you become of age to serve in the military, and drinking age. I would say yeah. those are the two somewhat milestones, rites of passage. Yeah. Yeah. College graduation, maybe. Maybe. But if you look at how millennials are viewed trying to get into the workforce, I won't say anybody's viewing them as men. Right. Or women, for right. that matter. Right. Like, you're still viewed as a kid. Well, but I think that's the thing, too, is, is extending After adolescence. It's put, it's, it's put us in that mindset of, I don't want to be a man. Yeah. That it has I don't want to grow it's up. It's shifted a mindset into that. And, you know, that's the thing is, you know, it's funny that you Do mentioned Do people that desire to be a woman or to be a man yeah. or would we rather just play out the teenage thing right a lot longer right um yeah you know, i heard i was listening to ben shapiro and i don't remember exactly what he was talking about but he actually said at one point in his in his podcast he's and he was talking to younger generation millennials but younger also in, in particular and said to them listen 
the best thing you can do in life, if you're, if you're wanting to grow up finally, he said, get a job, get married, have children, allow someone to be able to depend on you. That is the thing that will actually give you purpose and give you meaning. And in my mind, I think that's one of the biggest corollaries with being a well, man. That's is taking responsibility exactly. for, for someone and else's And I think that's the biggest thing is we outcome. want to look at rites of passage. Rites of passage only mean something if there's expectation on the other side of that rite gotcha. of passage. Oh, that's a good point. And I think that's why, why marriage and children especially, and even having a job, are so significant in those. Because it's saying, I will give up a piece of myself because I'm going to allow you to depend on me, and I'm going to fulfill that dependence. It's, it's a sacrifice. Yes. It's laying down a part of yourself, because what, what guy wants to get up and go to work every day? Yeah. It, you don't want to do that. No. And you, don't, you certainly don't want to just give your money away to support someone else. Right. It's not something that you want to do. Right. It's something that you choose to do. Yeah. There are many things in my life that I wish I didn't have to do, or that I wouldn't be doing if I was single with no children. Yeah. But I never wake up or come home on a day and think, man, I wish I was still single. Yeah. Like, I, I never have. Yeah. I've never, I never for a minute have regretted the changes that have taken place in my life by making these choices of allowing someone to depend on me. Yeah, there are times when that dependence is irritating and having to do adult things and have adult responsibilities and pay bills and pay for diapers and pay for things that you're like, this is wasting money or throwing it down, literally throwing it in the trash. So but I've never had, I've never looked back and said, man, I've just, I wish I could go back to being a high schooler, go back to being, you know, early twenties or whatever. Like it's just not there. So without marriage and children, uh, what would you look at in the life of a single person to say, Hey, I'm a man, you know? Yeah. I still think there's there's a connection to allowing someone to depend on you. Yeah. Being being whether that's whether that's a parent or a sibling or or coworkers or coworkers or just com- the community that you're in and saying I will commit to something yeah. and I will allow people to depend on me and I will fulfill that. I will say if you're someone that people can say yes, I can count on them. Yeah. If you're willing to be counted on. Like some people say held accountable, what does that mean? It means that someone can count on you. Yeah. Like you, you become a man of your word and what you say, you do. You follow through on it. I say one of the most frustrating things, and I've, I've helped out with high schoolers for like 13 years and been involved in youth events and all that stuff. One of the worst things about dealing with teenagers is zero commitment level to yeah. anything. Like they'll all say, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And you go there wherever they say they were going and there's like two people there. <laughs> you're like who are all these people that told me they were going to be here and yeah. like no one's there yeah or you know the reverse happens and it's like you were expecting five and like 20 people showed up because right. your thing was the happening thing right and it's like you were all supposed to be somewhere else weren't you and you yeah. just like ditched it and came here i think i think part of that problem has come from because so much in society is involuntary commitment. So like going to school, like you have to go to school. Legally, literally, legally, you are compelled to go to a classroom of some kind between ages X and X until you have done X amount of work. You are legally required to do so, and there are things you can't do in life. And that hasn't always been the case. I mean, it used to be that if a kid wanted to school, go to school, the parent would make it literally almost as hard as they could and said, well, you've got to do these chores, you've got to do these things before you even leave, and then you've got to get yourself there and get yourself back in time to do these things and those things and these things. But kids wanted to go because yeah. they knew it would improve them, and they wanted to, they wanted to do more. They wanted when to be more. school was an elective thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think there's so much in life that has become compulsory that it's, it's lost its sense of purpose and maturity. It's just become a thing that you're expected to do. So you have to go to school. You have to get a driver's license. Yeah. You have to, you know, go to college. Yeah. You have to get a job. Yeah. You know. And these are all things. And that's the thing is you don't actually have a, a, you have very limited choice up until you, until you get a job. Like that is the thing where it's like, you're going to have, that's, that's where you have say what your career is. Yeah. You're you're finally going to get to choose. And I always found that to be completely daunting. I'm like, I want to choose a job that's kind of cool, yeah. but I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And even at 
from what I'm hearing, if I go to college, I don't actually end up getting to do what I thought I was going to get to do when I go into college. Right. That doesn't happen for very many people. Right. Unless you're a doctor and willing to invest eight <laughs> years of your life and then like two years of residency and whatever else. And like 12 years of paying off your school yeah. allowance. Which <laughs> doesn't seem great. No. So that was out, you know, and it's like, how do I pick a career? Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that I didn't even pick my first career. Like I just kind of kept working in the same place. I didn't actually pick a career until I'd been working for 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I finally decided, no, I would rather do this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. wild. I, I don't know. I don't know. But along the way, I was doing things that to me seemed like, okay, yeah. I look back and I say, yeah, at 24, you were a man. You were doing things that, but definitely did not feel like it. No. And again, I still, I still struggle with that. There are still many days when I, when I don't feel that. I, I still feel like a kid. Now, again, me, me 10 years ago, the things that I did with my time and the, you know, the hobbies I had have changed drastically. I, I, I don't burn my time like I did then, although I still will have my moments of just wasting time zoning out on YouTube or... Sure, we all do. Playing a video game or something like that. But it's it's not what it once was. Um, so there there are. There are just things that you start to lay down. You start to set aside as you get older, as, as yeah. your responsibilities change. Um, yeah. It's well, a, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I spoke as a child. And when I became a man, I, I put away childish things. Yeah. And Jess was, I was asking her this question earlier and she's like, well, being a man, a lot of people think, well, now I'm an adult. That means I can talk in a way that I didn't talk when I was younger. Yeah. In a bad way. No, it doesn't. Right. Like you don't magically get a license to behave worse. Right. <laughs> and uh, well, now I can just go fill my, fill my mind with all this terrible stuff that I didn't before because now I'm I'm an adult. Yeah. So adult entertainment is on the table. Well, I know. Yeah. Like you don't just magically get permission to behave badly. Right. Just because you're older. Right. And I think that's some of the problems with what we have as a rite of passage. It's like, okay, you're not allowed to do this irresponsible thing, but now you're older. Yeah. Totally allowed to do, right. you know, all these irresponsible which is, things. Which is why I think failure is so key. Yeah. To actually becoming a man. Yeah. Because until you have you have hit some some walls, until you've hit some roadblocks, and again, not even things you basically, oh yeah, I overcame this and I found no. Sometimes you just fail straight up, fall on your face, and, and there's no recovery. There's just, well, I'm gonna turn and go a different direction because <laughs> that's that's done. That went away. But I think there's yeah. I think there's something about that. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of even our generation got robbed of is parents who didn't want their kids to fail ever at anything. And it was more a generation a little bit later than us, but it started with ours. Just that, you know, the participation trophies, the, the you know, if my kid gets in trouble at school, it's the teacher's fault, it's the other yeah. kid's fault, it's never my kid's fault. Like, I, I was not raised in that way. Like, if, if my parents would side with whoever I was in trouble with, and they would assume <laughs> that it was true. Again, if it was, unless it was something, doubt. unless it was something that was totally outside of my character to do, like they yeah. would defend me if they knew that, like I know him, this is not something he would do. Like that was a that was a different situation. But man, it didn't matter, you know, if if I felt like I was justified in doing whatever I had done or whatever. If it was perceived a certain way by people, like nope, you're gonna have some consequences for this because this was a choice you made. Um, so I long, I mean, ever since I was young, was very much taught that what you choose to do, how you choose to behave, how you choose to react is going to have a consequence, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And you are the one who's in control of that. Um, and it's really funny because I feel like that's the thing I'm trying to teach, especially strong right now. Aon's not quite there yet where I can start to verbalize that yeah. to her. But just understanding that like, if he is going to be punished for something, it's like, buddy, I asked you to do this. I told you that this would be the consequence if you didn't. You did not listen. And so now this is the consequence you're going to have. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and explaining that during raging and crying moments is difficult, but that's what I want him to get. I don't want him to just get that daddy's mad at me and so he's going to, I'm in trouble now. Like, I want him to understand you made a choice that yeah. has led you to now the consequence that you are landing at. 
because it's not about me necessarily or me being frustrated or, or me being or him being disobedient towards me. It's oh, that yeah. there are lines and he has chosen to step out of them. And I think he needs to understand that element of and I guess this gets into the whole thing of like, how do you raise men? Like, how do you, how do you raise a boy into someone who will become a man? And I feel like that's so much of it is. A, a lot, a lot of that is allowing for a certain level of risk and failure. Yeah. And and not always trying to pick up the pieces when they fail. Yeah. I letting them pick themselves up to a certain point. I mean, it. it you can't also be that. That hard and cruel dad. Yeah. It's just like, oh, he's yeah. a boy. Hires you know. a guy to come beat your kid yeah. up. <laughs> or yeah. something stupid, yeah. you know. Or you're the one inflicting pain on them yeah. to watch them overcome it. That yeah. can't be it. But no. I, I, not saving them from all their decisions and choices. Like, yeah. Jess would sometimes be like, he has, you can't just let him jump up like when he was younger, jump up on the couch, jump off, and, you know, onto the coffee table and then down onto something else. And I'm like, he is a boy. Let him fall off once or twice and he will be fine. Like he will figure <laughs> it out. Like you can run over there and tell him to stop. The minute you walk out of the room, he's, he's going to do, it, do it anyway. So let him do it so that you're closer yeah. and you can pick him up when he's done. Yeah. You know, but yeah, you, you got to let him know what falling is like a little yeah. bit and, yeah. and not, not in a bad way, but I'll, to let them know what failure is. And right. I, the, I wanted my kid to be on a sports team because I wanted him to meet somebody that was faster than him, that yeah. was bigger than him, yeah. that could hit harder than him. And yeah. I'm like, because he thinks he's pretty big stuff when he's at home. Oh, yeah. And he, he really thinks that he's super tough. And, you know, you are. Yeah. I, I want to build that up. But let's put you also on a team where you run into somebody that's bigger, badder, yeah. and, and faster than you. Yeah. Give you something to work towards. <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget that when I was a kid and I was I was like a basketball freak. That's all I wanted to do was play basketball. And I remember my dad telling me, because my big thing is I would just practice by myself or I would play my little brother. Yeah. And my and I remember my dad told me, Yeah, you're only gonna get better if you play people that are that are better than you. So I started like as an eight year old kid, I'm like challenging teenagers. I'm like, Yeah, we're gonna play. And I would win a lot which I was pretty proud of. <laughs> but um, but that was a big thing for me, understanding that I'm only going to get better if I'm around somebody who's better than me. And being a musician really taught me that too because I didn't want to sit around and be the, the best musician in the room. I wanted to be around people who I'm looking at something they're doing, I'm like, man, I want to learn how to do that or I don't know how to do that. I wanted to be listening to those people. The things that I could accomplish were never as impressive as the things I felt like I couldn't touch. And, and I learned more from those and trying to do them and failing and, and whatnot. Um, that's really important. Yeah. Well, and one of the things it's that the I'm trying... same thing with playing chess. That's one of the things that mm -hmm. I learned is like, you do not get better just beating like yes. all my little sisters and yes. trying to beat my mom. Like you go to chess club and yeah, you can try to beat the other guys in the room. You actually but learn to beat chess your club? teacher. Yeah. How have we never talked about that? I was in chess club. Absolutely. It doesn't surprise And it was my me. goal to beat my teacher. Because I was like, I've got to get a win at some point over yeah. him because that was, that was my goal. It wasn't my goal to beat anybody else in the room. Like, I wanted to see what they were doing, understand the different moves and things like that. But it didn't matter to me if I beat them or lost to them. That yeah. didn't matter. I wanted to beat him. Yeah. And I lost to him constantly. That's why I won't let my kids beat me at chess. Yeah. Like, I will show you how the game works, but I will beat you relentlessly. <laughs> like, until you figure it out. Yeah. Like, it's a game that my kids don't play with me because they can't <laughs> win. I won't let them win. Like, you will get to a place someday where you will beat me at chess, but it's not going to be today because you're not good enough. <laughs> that's, a, that's another thing I feel like I'm trying to instill in Strong is he's in that independent phase where everything, he wants to do everything himself. Like, and no, I can do I've it, also, I can do it, I can do it, which is great. Yeah. But he's also gotten to the point where he'll attempt something several times, and eventually he'll look at me and he's like, I need help. Or I'll ask him, do you need help? And he'll say, yeah, I need help. And I'm trying to really praise that in him too because I think that is something that yeah. that is is a mark of a man and a, and a man who's a great man who knows when he has hit his wall and needs somebody around him to help him up or to help him move forward. And and so I'm I'm trying to do that, and I'm trying to do that with both of my kids, you know, not just strong, but even with Awen, like the little things where she, and she's much quicker to ask for help because her motor skills aren't what Strong's are yet. Yeah. And so, but I I want them to understand that that is a healthy and a good thing to actually ask for help. 
Yeah. Um, because I think that's part of what's missed. You know, we want them to be independent, but we forget that sometimes they need to be dependent. Uh, just as much as they need to be depended on, they need to be able to depend on somebody too. Uh, and I think I think uh, building in some of those things will tell my kids that they're they're grown at a certain point. Like when if they can finally beat me at chess, that's going to be a big thing. Yeah. Like I'm not even that good. Yeah. I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm. You know, even like better than some mediocre chess players. I'm, I'm not <laughs> like, I may not be the best chess player in any room that I walk into, but my kids, as soon as they beat me in chess, they're going to know that that's a threshold. Yeah. And I'll wrestle with my kids all day. Never going to let Rylan pin me. Yeah. Until he actually pins pin me. You. <laughs> yep. I'm going to fight my way out of it. Yeah. And he comes hard and I, I'm like, he, he comes flying in there and I'm like, yeah. okay, that's great. I love the tenacity, buddy. Like we'll, we'll keep wrestling, but you're not going to get that pin until there will be a day maybe that you get that pin and you'll know it. Like yeah. you'll know that you did good. I'm not a great wrestler, but it's going to prove something to him. Yeah. You know? Probably the first or second year he takes wrestling, he'll eventually be. <laughs> you know, and I think it's it's interesting to mention that because I was just thinking about. I think that viewing myself with as a man has everything to do with how my dad finally related to me, and I remember the yeah. point when my dad started treating me more as a peer than as his son. Mm-hmm. More, as, and that was. Did you have a specific conversation? Not a specific conversation, but it was, I remember him coming to me and asking my opinion about something. Oh, okay. And it wasn't just like, hey, what do you want to do? It's, hey, I'm dealing with this thing. What do you think of this? Yeah. And I was like, what, me? Like, you want to know what I think of this? And, yeah. and I didn't say that, obviously. I, I thought. Projected confidence. Yeah, projected confidence <laughs> and said what I thought. But, but that, that informed so much how other men viewed me, specifically my father, informed so much of what I thought of myself. And again, like I said, I still have those moments where I just feel like a kid still. You know, we've talked about that. Once I hit 17 or 18, I never really felt any older. Like, my body yeah. feels older, but mentally and whatever, I kind of feel like I'm just still that person. Um, but that that really has informed the moment where I felt like, okay, that was the moment where I, at least I started to feel like I was a man. To some degree. I do remember a conversation with my dad. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but he, I don't know if he was just tired of dealing with my crap or <laughs> what happened, but he was, he basically said, look, I'm, I'm done disciplining you. Yeah. Like if you want my advice on how to do life, you can ask for it and I will give it to you, but you're not going to get it unsolicited from here on. Like, and that he held up to that for a little while I've gotten unsolicited advice. <laughs> it's okay. And and he knows he was cool to give it. And yeah. that's fine. Like yeah. we, we reached a place it, that was like I was 18, 19. No, I would have at least been 19. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, we reached a place later on where it was just like, yeah. we, we now ask each other's opinion, call each other up. And, and yeah. like, I would very much say that my dad, has asked my opinion on stuff and asked for my help with things. And that has felt really good. I, I do feel for, for guys that don't have their dad in their lives and and how difficult that is. Then when you don't have that, like that high watermark that you're trying to gauge yourself against, that's one of the difficulties is saying, yeah, but I don't, I don't have a dad that's going to be able to give me that. Right. Um, I, I think that was a mark of a good dad for both of us where they would recognize that. But there are some people that have a dad involved in their life that isn't right. that way. They aren't as gracious and they right. will never give you the win. They will never give you that, that affirmation that you're looking for. And you have to find it somewhere right. else. You have to find it within yourself. You have to find it from your peers from your, from your job, most of all from the Lord and listening to what God would say about you. Um, but I know a number of guys that, that struggle with that. If their dad was either a really bad example of what it means to be a man, right. Or he does not do, he wasn't gracious or wasn't there at all, or you don't even know who he is. Yeah. Like that can be extremely difficult. Yeah. And, and it's something that, that you you need you need validated in you in a way 
that can't be given to you by anyone else right. other than your father God or, you know, a father figure of some yeah. kind that yeah. can yeah. offer Without that to you. And, and I, you know, I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing that you see in, in society, American society today, is that the lack of fathers, the lack of men influencing is what is causing so many of the issues yeah. that we see today. And, and I mean, I could go down the list and explain how they correlate to that, but we don't really have time for that. You but. take your cues on what it means to be a man then by what you're told of what it means to be a man. Yeah. So if your subculture says that well, this is what it takes to be a man, then you right. gather it from that. Or if the media well, puts a particular standard I, out there. A, like, for example, I would say that a woman cannot teach a man, a boy, what it means to be a man. No. She can teach a man what it means to not be a man. Like, these are not things men do, but that's yeah. not enough. Like, you have to have more than that. And that's, that's one of the things where I've always struggled with. She isn't going to look at you and be able to give you, you are a man. Right. Like, you may feel like she does. Right. But what you're looking for is other men to say that. Right. Right. And, uh, and so I think I actually have this quote here that I, was, that I, was, I looked up at the beginning of this when I knew we were going to start talking about this. Because, again, we talk about toxic masculinity. And, and so many people who are, who are the extreme new wave feminists would just say that men are the problem, period. Men, men are the problem. And if we can just eliminate men or eliminate men's influence, then all of these problems will go away. This was, this was the, the thing that somebody wrote. 43% of boys are raised by single mothers. 78% of teachers are female. So almost 50% of boys have 100% feminine influence while at home and um, an 8 in 10 chance of 100% female influence at school. Toxic masculinity isn't the problem. Lack of masculinity is. And I think that is Lack so... Lack of good masculinity. Yeah, I think is. that is so... But I think, I, I, think, I think saying good masculinity is actually a cop-out because masculinity is good. If it is proper, if yeah. it is what it is supposed to be, masculinity in its true function is good. And this idea that it's not, this idea that it is toxic in and of itself is the problem. Because we've removed, we've removed male influences. We've removed fathers from the home as a society. We've removed them from the classroom. You know, teachers, uh, teaching used to be a male-dominated uh, uh, profession, profession yeah. back in the day. And there were some legal reasons for that, but it was. And I'm not saying that every, man sh every teacher should be a man. That is not what I'm saying at all. I, I mean, I have teachers in my family, you know, things like that. Phenomenal teachers, great things. But what is missing from our society that is not missed from generations past is the influence of men. Yeah. On you still boys. have it in sports. Yes. And you still have it in the military. And that's where you see and that's where you see people getting saved, if you will, from so much of what I mean, that's why you see you look at you look at guys like LeBron James, you know, had no father. I think he knows who his dad was now, but I'm not sure. I've never I don't know who the man is. I've never seen pictures of him. He's never been with him, never done. But he has men that came alongside of him when he was a kid. And have, and poured into him, and did, you know, coaches and mentors, world. and yeah, and who took him on as more. You know, Iverson had that, even though he had a bunch of dump, oh, and dumpster fire situations. Guys often said that about Joe Paterno, yeah. from what people and yeah, Joe Paterno, they would say, you know, taught me a lot about football, but he taught me more about what it meant to be a man and what it meant to you know take responsibility, what it what it meant to be a good person. Yeah, you know, and regardless of how the end of his whole career went like that that was true for a lot of people in, yeah. the, in that realm and so like a good coach a good pastor a good you know some of these examples you can find them and a lot of people do and gravitate right. towards them and, right. and find a lot of good things there right um i do feel like removing men completely from the equation uh you you're not going to like what you're left with no no not at all <laughs> yeah not anyway, I'll leave that where that yeah, is. That's a I'm whole not going to jump off yeah, that's a whole on thing. a whole new tangent right here at the end. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've, I feel like we've, we've at least kicked off the topic and we, we didn't step on any hand grenades. Not too much, no. Yeah, maybe no. not. But it is the things that we say. So remember that going into the podcast. The whole Joe Paterno thing was in the back of my mind when we called this the things we say. Yeah. Because one little 
misstep in what you say or what you don't say can destroy you in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. And people need the freedom to talk things out. No doubt. People need to talk about these things, bring it up, discuss it, and and listen to it and process what they think about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, action step for this week. Do we have one? <laughs> I should think about that ahead of time, shouldn't well, I? Well, here, I'll give, I'll give us one. I'll give us one. Any of you guys out there, I would like to know the moment where you would say, this was the moment sure. I could look back on and say, from this moment on, I became a man. Some of you may have that definitive moment. Some of you may be like us, who it's like it's been little things along the way. But what are some of those definitive things that would you say, this transitioned me from being a boy to being a man? Absolutely. And if you're a woman, uh, go ahead and weigh in as well. What, what do you think a man should look to and say, this is what it means to be a man? Yes, absolutely. We welcome your input. Absolutely, so. without a doubt. <laughs> but uh, anyway, guys, it's been good. It's been good to be back. Sorry for the break for the Super Bowl, but you know. Super Bowl and snow seem to be kicking yes, this podcast. Yes, it is. But, uh, but we're back in full force, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yep. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.